Welcome to Exhibit A. Today's podcast, we are going to have Zoe with us, and we're going to be discussing a case that deals with the 3044 presumption against custody when people commit domestic violence. And what is the time period that the court has to consider or the time period that the court cannot consider when looking at this statute? Well, Zoe, this is your second time on the podcast. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, and the reason why you believe so is because it's been, I don't know, what, a year and a half, two years since you've last done one of these? Oh, God, yeah. I think it's been more than two years. Yeah, because you were a law clerk, and we had you here at the end of the summer, Mm -hmm. and we assessed how you like the law practice. And we've been really delayed in getting you on the podcast. So you're our newest attorney. Mm -hmm. You've been with us for how many months now? Like four? Four months. It seems like a year, doesn't it? <laughs> it feels like an year for sure. It does not feel like less yeah. than six months. You had no idea that you'd be walking into the buzzsaw like you have, right? No. Okay. No. Well, I know you like that because you're crazy like me, <laughs> like any attorney that likes to do litigation and stuff. I mean, if you were not doing the work, you'd be complaining, but you're obviously working like crazy, working on a lot of different types of cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's good. So uh, now that you're an attorney and you've got the little bit of experience underneath your belt. Barely. (laughs) (laughs) What's your overall assessment of family law? I mean, it's so fast-paced, I guess, which is something this firm did introduce me to, like the constant deadlines and kind of that never-ending to-do lists of things to do. But I prefer that, I think. Um, more than having just one project on the line. I do like having multiple things to work on. Um, And I don't know, it's just every single thing is so different, Uh, which is what all of you guys said before too, that every day is new. Every day is different. Every day is so new. And I'm constantly surprised and learning every day. Yeah, as as hard as we try to uh, organize our day, we might have a calendar and you say, I'm gonna do this, and at 10 o'clock we'll do this. Uh, you just be ready for the unexpected because your day could sure. be completely different than what you think it is. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we kind of like that because I, here's one of the reasons why I think. I think it's, you know, other than studying law or possibly medicine where you spend hours reading one book, you know, because the professor, mean professor is making you do so and you're just out of your mind concentrating. The human being, I don't think, was really programmed mm. to just hyper-focus for eight hours on one thing. Oh, God, no. You know, and, I'm, and so, like, for me, what I'll do is I'll hyper-focus, but mm-hmm. I know that I've got to turn it off and maybe do something else for a little bit mm-hmm. and stuff to be able to keep productive, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, So that's probably what you're talking about, where you need that constant, yes. you know, so good. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about a, an appellate court decision, uh, and this will be your first time at working with me through this decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like doing this because really what this does is it gives our audience a very quick preview of some of the appellate court decisions coming out mm-hmm. shortly after they're published. We're looking at recent cases, and uh, it, you know, it's, I think it's kind of a, a good exercise also to walk through these things with another person and get your impressions and we're going to do that with you today. Okay, so today we're going to talk about an appellate court decision that deals with domestic violence, and the case name is Marriage of Destiny. Am I correct? Yes, that's oh, correct. Okay, <laughs> so why don't we stick with tradition here and have you uh, tell me about the uh, facts of the case. Set it up for us. Okay, so there was a five-year marriage 
um, there, there's alleged domestic violence happening on both sides during these five years. Mother files her petition for dissolution in January of 2015. Okay, hold, hold that for one second. So mm-hmm. this is a, one of these cases where both parties are pointing the fingers at each other. Yes. And they're both saying, you committed domestic on me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not one of these typical orders where, where you have a victim going in and just saying, you know, it's him and he's defending himself or vice right. versa. You got both people pointing the finger. Mm-hmm. Okay, go mm-hmm. ahead. So w- w- there was a dissolution filed? Yes, there was a dissolution filed January of 2015. The parties have one kid, one minor child. Um, they stipulated as to the division of property and support in 2019, so it took them four years to come to stipulation. And then I think it was six years, February 2021, that the family court finally heard um, the parties on custody and visitation. So this is a long, drawn-out, contentious divorce involving child custody of one child. Yes. And child custody is reserved towards the end of this litigation for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yes, it took them a very long time to get to the hearing on custody and visitation. And so what happens here is that in this trial, both parties, as we said, offer evidence about how both both of them engaged in domestic violence against each other. Um, and, the co- and the court found that, yes, they both committed acts that could be seen as domestic violence, but none of the domestic violence happened five years from 2021, which is when the court heard them on the custody and the visitation. Okay, so let me pause again for a second here. Now, you have this litigation. This is not involving a domestic violence restraining order. No. What we have is a hearing, an evidentiary hearing, we call it a trial actually, Mm because it's uh, related to the divorce, and they're bringing in evidence of domestic violence. A lot of people don't realize that you don't need a restraining order to start talking about domestic violence in a family law case. Right. In fact, uh, if as an attorney, your client has been a victim of domestic violence, Mm -hmm. you need to bring that in regardless of whether or not there's a restraining order. And Sometimes we tell people, look, getting a restraining order might not be the way to go because of the fact that some of the stuff is remote, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes the client says, look, I don't necessarily want a restraining order, but I, but I want primary custody. Right. And so, so that's why it's brought in. Now, let me ask you this. From reading this case, can you see why both parties are bringing in allegations of domestic violence in a custody dispute? Right, so I'm assuming it's to utilize the 3044 presumption, which um, says the perpetrator of the domestic violence um, has to rebut this presumption of domestic violence in order to get custody of the child. Yeah, and so let's let's clarify that even more. Mm-hmm. So what it says is that if you have been found mm-hmm. to have committed domestic violence mm-hmm. within five years, right, uh, then there's a rebuttable presumption that you cannot have custody, meaning you can't have significant time in the parenting plan. You can't have 50% custody. You can't have a majority of the custody. Uh, You get visitation, Mm -hmm. and the codes are now starting to define what is the difference between visitation and custody. That's not the purpose of this decision, but we know that the 3044 presumption is a very serious a code, mm-hmm. and if somebody is found to commit, commit domestic violence, now it's the burden on them to say, hey, 
it's in the best interest of this children Mm -hmm. or child, despite the fact that I committed domestic violence, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, and and does the code, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to look at 3044, do you know what uh, 3044 says that a parent should probably do in order to gain custody if they've been found to be in violation of the, the Domestic Violence Act? Right. So from what I know is the anger management classes, the batteries intervention programs, um, parenting classes, something to show that this uh, parent is trying to, you know, get away from what happened before and that they're moving forward to be to rebut this presumption. Yeah. So so what the code says is that, hey, judge, knock, knock, knock. Look at this code here. Look at these this language here. These are the things you should consider. Mm. Now, it doesn't say that a person has to complete a 52-week uh, mm-hmm. better's treatment class or it has to be in individual therapy or parenting classes, but it says these are the things that you should look at mm. to determine. Now, it's possible for somebody to rebut the presumption without doing any of those things, by the right. way. Um, and you know, I don't know if I've seen any case law where that's been done yet, mm. but uh, you know, we know that that's why this case is so important because these people are pointing the fingers at each other mm-hmm. and they're saying, "No, you've committed domestic mm. violence. No, you have," because they're really fighting over custody, right? right? And that's why sometimes domestic violence can be used as a sword. Right, you know, or a shield, you know, depending mm. on who, who it is and stuff. So right. here we go. They're in custody dispute. The court has already said what? That both parties could did commit domestic violence during the marriage. Okay, so it's, it, the judge is not denying that fact. Right. It's just said that it didn't occur within five years of the date of the custody hearing. Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, what happened next? So... Because the domestic violence did not occur five years before 2021, which is the date of the hearing, um, the court found that the 3044 presumption doesn't apply, which meant that the parties could be awarded joint legal and joint physical, and that is what happened here. So mother filed a timely appeal saying that the presumption should have applied um, not not from the date of the hearing, but from the date of the filing of the petition, which is January of 2015. Okay. Now, during the trial, mm-hmm. mom had a witness come in. Yes. A neighbor. Talk about that. A neighbor. Yes. Yeah. So she, I believe the neighbor said perhaps three to four years ago from 2021, uh, father whacked mother on the side of the head a couple of, couple of times. Right. So, so she claims to have been a percipient witness of domestic violence where mother was the victim, dad whacked. And this is the language of the decision. <laughs> Dad whacked. Whacked, whacked around the side of the head a couple of times. Yes. And and so that would have been within the five-year period. Mm-hmm. And uh, then what else about that? You, you read about the statement of decision, right? Right. So, so the court does not make reference mm-hmm. to this witness at all when it's rendering its no. statement of decision, right? Right. So the mother says the court overlooked that testimony because it did not mention, explicitly mention that the neighbor's testimony was credible. And so the mother is saying that not all of the factual findings necessary for, uh, for this, for this uh, holding to be valid was found, and that's what she brings to the appeal. Okay, so mom's appealing it. Uh, she doesn't like the custody order. The custody no. order was very favorable to the father, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so the 
Court of Appeal takes a look at this, and the first thing it looks at is mom's argument that you didn't uh, rule appropriately that was within the five-year period. Mm -hmm. And the Court of Appeal uh, looks at the code, and what what does it say? It says, from the finding, the domestic violence needs to be found five years before the finding of domestic violence. So, um, well, and, and what was mom saying? Mom saying the mom was saying it had to be found five years before the petition of dissolution. Yeah, it, it doesn't say petition of dissolution. Okay. I wondered when I read the case if that's what it meant. But petition, either the petition of dissolution or the petition for mm. custody or something, perhaps, but, but before the filing. So, I think that we could right. assume that. You could look at it either way, right? Okay. 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 So, so what does the Court of Appeals say about mom's argument on that? Um, the Court of Appeals uh, adamantly disagrees with the mother. Um, it says that it would be impractical and very unfair for that to be the standard. And the language in the legislature is pretty clear, right? Um, so it says it should be based on the custody hearing, and that's that's what the language says. And um, I, I feel like the Court of Appeal was pretty snarky <laughs> when, <laughs> it was ta- <laughs> when I was making this holding. It said, um, whatever policy, because the mother made a lot of policy arguments, right? right. And so um, the Court of Appeal was like, weighing competing policy considerations is a task for the legislature and arguments of this nature are appropriately addressed to Sacramento, not the courts. And I, I thought that was a very snarky comeback. Yeah, and, and I, I, the part that I saw was, indeed, accepting mother's interpretation would create the incongruous result that as long as the initial request for custody was filed within five years of the mm. last domestic violence incident, the presumption would apply in perpetuity based upon evidence that had long since become remote. Mm. So let's put that in in uh, layman's language for people that are listening to this. Um I guess what could happen, and this is what the Court of Appeals said would be ridiculous if we followed mom's logic, mm-hmm. is you could file a request for child custody and then stall. Or right. it could go on and on and on like some cases do. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and then you go back and it must be, you know what, it must have been the petition. Because, okay. because when you look at this logic right here, it must have been the petition. So she files a a petition for dissolution of marriage or a petition for for paternity, right, mm-hmm. or parental action. And then it doesn't go anywhere for about three or four years. Right. And then finally you file a motion, and then you're well beyond the five-year period, but mm-hmm. you're dating back to a period long ago. And, you know, I think the law has always been, at least as long as I've been an attorney, forgiving of things that happened way in the past. Remote mm-hmm. incidents aren't going to have as much uh, teeth as, right. you know, and stuff like that. So they said that the code was was designed to preclude that from happening, right? Mm, yes. I thought that uh, the argument that they the mother said, though, about delay mm. had some teeth as well, though. Tell mm. me about what mom's argument for that was. Right. So I also agreed with the mom when she said um, it would prevent the courts from delaying the custody proceedings farther out if there was a five-year um, limit on it. But then again, I feel like that could also be abused um, by other petitioners. By the perpetrator of domestic violence, right? for sure. Um, Explain how. um, Numerous discovery, I feel like that could be one way. Um, Continuing constantly. Yeah, so Um, so let's let's 
so let's give it let's give a hypothetical is you got a guy that's committed domestic violence mm-hmm. um, let's say that it was uh, four years ago right right and she's well within the time period mm-hmm. right um, but the custody hearing mm-hmm. isn't heard for another two years because he's engaged in discovery mm-hmm. you know he's not available for testimony mm-hmm. he files a, he exercises peremptory challenge it goes to another judge or a new judge takes the case and says mm-hmm. I'm not prepared for this thing and there's a lot of ways to delay a case right so I saw that too is mm-hmm. is that in the court basically wasn't so concerned about that and you talk about the snarky comments mm-hmm. uh, it said something like uh, you know we believe that uh, the courts know you know the best interest of the children and they're gonna mm-hmm. you know do this and all this stuff. So I'm thinking not all judges. There's some judges that don't, right? You know? Always exceptions to the rule. Right, right. <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know, right. it's here's here was the quote. Moreover, the court has no doubt the family mm. court understands its responsibility to make timely custody decisions in the best interest of the children, consistent with the due process rights of the parties. You're speaking for every court. Come on, <laughs> you know. I, this tells me that they didn't really have a practical understanding of what right. could happen there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I think they both had good arguments, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, Dad has a good argument to say that, look, if you file for the petition and then you wait on your, and you sit on your hands and, you know, 10 years goes by, and then you're pointing, you know, to the back, it can't be five years like mm-hmm. that from, from that, you know, and stuff. And, then, and I think Mom's argument as well. But the court ultimately looked at the code, right? Mm-hmm. And it said the plain language of the code. Right. Upon finding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So upon finding means that during the hearing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, and then it said, we're not legislators. You want to change it? You know, the, the legislator. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, so then um, going back to that witness. Mm-hmm. Okay. M- Mom's argument on appeal about that witness was what? Um, that. In the statement of decision, there wasn't an explicit mention of the neighbor's testimony and that it was not credible. Well, the, she was saying that the court uh, did not find, uh, uh, forgot about that witness, mm-hmm. right? In like that overlooked. Overlooked right. it, overlooked the witness. Mm-hmm. And there's an implied finding, you know, in there. And the Court of Appeal didn't buy that either, right? No, it did not. What did the court say? Is that that if she had an objection to that statement of decision, she had to make it in the trial court process and not now? Yeah, I think this, and that's why another reason why this decision is good because it shows mm-hmm. you that that statement of decision is very, very important. Right. It is possible, and by the way, for lay people, a statement of decision is, is where a trial court will put in writing its reasoning after and make factual findings in writing and then its reasoning. It's really kind of setting the record in mm-hmm. case of an appeal. And people usually have to ask for a statement of decision. If you don't, it could be, it will be fatal to your right to appeal because when you go up on appeal, if there's no statement of decision, mm-hmm. the court's gonna make implied findings like crazy, right? So it, what uh, happened here is this court did do a statement of decision and uh, she forgot to correct it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it goes, back to the to the attorneys and they get a chance to say hey judge you didn't consider this witness statement you Mm -hmm. putting that in there um and you know that was never asked so so i think practically speaking though zoe what would a judge have done had a uh, party done that said hey you know you didn't include that witness in here Mm -hmm. um i think the judge would have come to the same conclusion yeah 
they yeah. I don't think they would have changed everything off the bat just because of that one objection. Or the court heard the testimony from the right. neighbor would have deemed it not credible, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> and then the court of appeals not going to ever question the credibility, no, right? No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. So cool. This this was a great decision, I think, really, to talk about the, the mm-hmm. distance. Now, the reason why I find this intellectually, uh, you know, interesting and like a lot of our family law cases is it rubs up against some other cases that have come through the years Mm -hmm. regarding domestic violence. We've learned through appellate court decisions that the trial court cannot really say, you know, uh, you can't talk about past domestic violence. In fact, that issue was brought up over here because the Mm -hmm. Court of Appeals said, look, even though we're not using the 3044 presumption, it doesn't mean you don't get to talk about it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because the family code allows, or not allows, it, it mandates that the court look at the health, welfare, and safety of children first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that includes acts of domestic violence. So even though it might have fallen outside of the five-year period, it's still something for the court to look at. It's a primary thing for the court to look at. So, you know, people shouldn't think that, hey, if it happened more than five years ago, mm-hmm. don't even talk about right. it. And courts shouldn't say, don't bring that into evidence because mm-hmm. we know that there's a, a string of cases that over the past decade that I'm, I'm probably aging myself past fi- over the past 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> this is getting sad. <laughs> past 15 years that talks about, you know, that the domestic violence mm-hmm. of the past is relevant, you know, and courts can't say, well, it's just too remote or, you know, we've had the, the, the Menjivar case where uh, the, court said, well, you know, since the case was filed, father or the boyfriend was behaving himself and, you know, a year has gone by and nothing's happened. Mm -hmm. So therefore, with the passage of time, I'm just going to predict that there's not going to be a domestic violence in the future. Mm -hmm. And the Court of Appeal put a nix to this and said, no, 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 Mm -hmm. you don't get to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I actually had a case where the domestic violence was a couple years old uh, the court still issued the restraining order. Mm-hmm. I was defending somebody mm-hmm. on that one and stuff. So we know that you know there's some things that kind of should be talked in conjunction with this case. It's just to think that the delay is a fatal blow is not true. It's just for the 3044 presumption. Mm-hmm. Just right? for the primary custody argument. Yeah, I mean, okay. based upon that, it doesn't. But you know, and so you know, I think that as litigators, mm-hmm. you know, we have to put forward the evidence. You right. know, and I like to say that you throw everything but the kitchen sink in there that's relevant. You know, because mm-hmm. it's your job to prosecute it, right? And don't ignore that that stuff. You know, and if you're representing somebody that's accused of domestic violence, don't necessarily think they're off the hook mm-hmm. because the incidents are remote. Right. You, but the 3044 presumption is something that is pretty clear now from this case that it's within five years from the hearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that was good. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> did you enjoy it? I did. I did. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on Exhibit A, and we will see you next time.